Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. My name is Terrence M. Stanton, and this is being recorded on Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022, the 42nd anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, the USA defeating the USSR at Lake Placid, New York in the 1980 Winter Olympic Games. My family was living in Canada at the time. My dad was working for U.S. Customs at the airport in Toronto. I was only two and a half years old, so I don't remember it, of course, but my sister certainly does, and my parents do. Definitely going to watch Miracle this evening. That's the film that was based on the events that took place at Lake Placid. So feeling very patriotic. And we are going to continue, first of all, with day three of the Holy Face Novena and the prayers that go along with that. So let's begin. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Dear Lord, through the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, we offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which offend God the most in these modern times, the sins of blasphemy the profanation of Sunday, and holy days of obligation, and communism. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificator nomen tuam, adveniat regnum tuam, fiat voluntas tua sicut in celo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et nenos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc, et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer, dictated by our Lord to Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre in reparation for blasphemy. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious, and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells, by all God's creatures, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. After receiving this prayer, Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre was given a vision in which she saw the sacred heart of Jesus delightfully wounded by the golden arrow as torrents of graces streamed from it for the conversion of sinners. Litany of the Holy Face, composed by Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, approved by Monsignor Morlot, Archbishop of Tours, 1847, granted 100 days indulgence by Pope Pius IX, January 27, 1853. In reparation for blasphemies, for the conversion of sinners, in particular blasphemers, and for asking of God any grace whatsoever. And I would like to pray for the conversion of Pope Francis. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Holy Virgin Mary, pray for us. O adorable face, which was adored with profound respect by Mary and Joseph when they saw thee for the first time, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which in the stable of Bethlehem didst ravish with joy the angels, the shepherds, and the magi, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which in the temple didst transpierce with the dart of love the saintly old man Simeon and the prophetess Anna, 
have mercy on us. O adorable face, which was bathed in tears in thy holy infancy, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which when thou didst appear in the temple at twelve years of age, didst fill with admiration the doctors of the law, have mercy on us. O adorable face, white with purity and ruddy with charity, have mercy on us. O adorable face, more beautiful than the sun, more lovely than the moon, more brilliant than the stars, have mercy on us. O adorable face, fresher than the roses of spring, have mercy on us. O adorable face, more precious than gold, silver, and diamonds, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose charms are so ravishing and whose grace is so attractive, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose every feature is characterized by nobility, have mercy on us. O adorable face, contemplated by angels, have mercy on us. O adorable face, sweet delectation of the saints, have mercy on us. O adorable face, masterpiece of the Holy Ghost, in which the Eternal Father is well pleased, have mercy on us. O adorable face, delight of Mary and of Joseph, have mercy on us. O adorable face, ineffable mirror of the divine perfections, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose beauty is always ancient and always new, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which appeases the wrath of God, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which makest the devils tremble, have mercy on us. O adorable face, treasure of graces and of blessings, have mercy on us. O adorable face, exposed in the desert to the inclemencies of the weather, have mercy on us. O adorable face, scorched with the heat of the sun and bathed with sweat in thy journeys, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose expression is all divine, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose modesty and sweetness attracted both the just and sinners, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which gave a holy kiss to the little children after having blessed them, have mercy on us. O adorable face, troubled and weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, have mercy on us. O adorable face, brilliant as the sun and radiant with glory on Mount Tabor, have mercy on us. O adorable face, sorrowful at the sight of Jerusalem and shedding tears on that ungrateful city, have mercy on us. O adorable face, bowed to the earth and the garden of olives and covered with confusion for our sins, have mercy on us. O adorable face, bathed in bloody sweat, have mercy on us. O adorable face, kissed by the traitor Judas, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose sanctity and majesty smote the soldiers with fear, and cast them to the ground, have mercy on us. O adorable face, struck by a vile servant, shamefully blindfolded and profaned by the sacrilegious hands of thine enemies, have mercy on us. O adorable face, defiled with spittle and bruised by innumerable buffets and blows, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose divine love wounded the heart of St. Peter with a dart of sorrow and love, have mercy on us. O adorable face, humbled for us at the tribunals of Jerusalem, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which didst preserve thy serenity when Pilate pronounced the fatal sentence, have mercy on us. O adorable face, covered with sweat and blood and falling in the mire under the heavy weight of the cross, have mercy on us. O adorable face, worthy of all our respect, veneration, and worship, have mercy on us. O adorable face, wiped with a veil by a pious woman on the road to Calvary, have mercy on us. O adorable face, raised on the instrument of most shameful punishment, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose brow was crowned with thorns, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose eyes were filled with tears of blood, have mercy on us. O adorable face, into whose mouth was poured gall and vinegar, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose hair and beard were plucked by the executioners, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which was made like to that of a leper, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose incomparable beauty was obscured under the dreadful cloud of the sins of the world, have mercy on us. 
O adorable face covered with the sad shades of death, have mercy on us. O adorable face washed and anointed by Mary and the holy women and wrapped in a shroud, have mercy on us. O adorable face enclosed in the sepulcher, have mercy on us. O adorable face all resplendent with glory and beauty on the day of thy resurrection, have mercy on us. O adorable face all dazzling with light at the moment of thy ascension, have mercy on us. O adorable face hidden in the Eucharist, have mercy on us. O adorable face which wilt appear at the end of time in the clouds with great power and majesty, have mercy on us. O adorable face which wilt cause sinners to tremble, have mercy on us. O adorable face which will fill the just with joy for all eternity, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Prayer. I salute thee, I adore thee, and I love thee, O adorable face of Jesus. My beloved, noble seal of the divinity, with all the powers of my soul, I apply myself to thee, and most humbly pray thee to imprint in us all the features of thy divine likeness. Amen. Aspirations. O God, show us thy face, and we shall be saved. Arise, O Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee from before thy face. Eternal Father, I offer thee the adorable face of thy well-beloved Son, for the honor and glory of thy holy name, and for the salvation of all men. Holy Father, keep them in thy name, whom thou hast given me. Our Lady asks Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre to repeat often the above prayer, in union with him, for the protection of Holy Church and her priests. Eternal Father, I look upon the divine heart of Jesus, which I offer thee, to receive the wine of thy justice, that it may be changed for us into the wine of mercy. Powerful heart of Mary, refuge of sinners, stay the arrows of divine justice. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael, pray for us. St. Martin, pray for us. St. Louis, pray for us. May the holy names of Jesus and of Mary and of Joseph be known, blessed, and glorified throughout the whole world. Amen. The offering of the instruments of the Passion of the Father for the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy Passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. One can make this offering of the holy face for any intention. Our Lord said to Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, Nothing you ask in making this offering of the holy face will be refused to you. November 22nd, 1846. Let us continue with our series by Mr. Kennedy Hall, my Canadian comrade. This was part seven of the Catholic Masculinity series entitled St. Joseph, Head of the Holy Family, and it was initially published on Tuesday, January 7th, 2020. Mr. Hall begins, The man's headship in the family, according to God's established order, as clearly revealed in sacred scripture, is perhaps one of the most contentious issues amongst even faithful Catholics today. It is such a stumbling block for women, and even men, that many priests try to skirt the issue whenever the words, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as it is behoveth in the Lord, Colossians 3.18, come up in the lessons for the sacred liturgy. 
our society is patently anti antipathetic, excuse me, towards the traditional role of the husband as the head of the household. It is easy enough to understand how the various toxic philosophies so rampant today have brought disorder into the home. However, many do not stop to consider how this lack of male headship creates a vacuum, which either the wimp which either the woman will fill or no one will properly fill. Headship of a family is built into the very nature of a man, and when he fails at this task, it affects the health of his whole family and, consequently, all of society. Wives who are not led and served by a loving and self-sacrificing husband are not secure. Daughters who cannot look to a father who is on a mission to sanctify his family will encounter difficulty in understanding their worth as a child of God the Father. Furthermore, sons in this situation will be stunted in their development as men, which means they will have to work so much harder to reorder things correctly when they have their own family. We can be certain that St. Joseph showed proper headship of the Holy Family. He demonstrated this on many occasions, not least of which in his role as pillar of families and chaste guardian of the Virgin. Men today need not only an example of headship, but also an example of how to become a man who is ready for the role. For our purposes, let us briefly look to the Old Testament. Out of Egypt. We all need to be freed from the bondage by which a world opposed to God envelops us. And at this point, Mr. Hall has his initial footnote that says, Recall the words from the last gospel of the Mass. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. This opposition of the world to God has been greatly intensified in modern times by our secular, hedonistic, and atheistic society. Continuing to the main body of the text. This holds true whether we are married or not. Due to our fallen nature, we suffer from concupiscence and tend to rebel. Evidence for this is all around us and can likewise be seen in the Old Testament. For thousands of years, it has been a similar story over and over again. Even the Hebrews, who walked dryly across the Red Sea, did not take long to rebel against the divinely appointed leadership of Moses. By God's power, Moses parted the Red Sea, brought forth water from the rock in the desert, and rained down manna. Despite these greatest of wonders, his spiritual children nonetheless rebelled. Hence, men should not be surprised when they encounter resistance to God's established order and their headship within their own household. However, before being enraged by the motes in the eyes of wives and children, men should strive to remove the beam from their own eye. See Matthew 7, verse 5. It is futile to try and force one's family to accept the proper order of things when one is himself not properly ordered. In fact, precisely because the man is the head of the family, he naturally sets the example of those under his authority to follow. I would just like to interject and say, Amen. Preach it, Brother Kennedy. We have to both walk the walk and talk the talk. And I've been guilty many times in my life of saying one thing and then doing another. That's hypocrisy. We can't do that. I hold myself accountable for that. I have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, I was wrong in this instance. And thank God, literally, thank God for the sacrament of reconciliation. What a blessing.
to be able to tell our Lord what a scoundrel we've been and be healed by the priest acting in persona Christi. It's not the priest who can forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. But he's acting in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why priests are so important. That's why the demons attack priests so much. And all these scandals and all this immorality in the church, all this filth, that's exactly what the demons want. Chaos in God's family. Because while a priest might not biologically be a father, he is a spiritual father to everyone in his parish. And a bishop is a spiritual father to everyone in his diocese. And then, of course, the Pope. I'm sure the demons are attacking fiercely as we speak. He's the spiritual father to all of us. So we have to pray, right? We have to fast. Fasting is difficult. Trust me. I've had many issues during the course of my life with my weight being up and down. I have a tendency to be kind of compulsive about some things and eating is one of them. That's why I I really need to focus on fasting this Lent. But continue to pray for Pope Francis. Continue to intercede for him. We are all part of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give up on Pope Francis. God never gives up on any of us. I know this pontificate has been very difficult, but getting back to the sacrament of reconciliation, I'm I'm reminded of how much our Lord puts up with me, how patient he's been with me during the course of my life every time I leave the confessional. And then I have that weight removed from me, and I could say, I have a clear conscience now. My sins have been forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's return now to the text. And once again, this is available at the Fatima Center's website, which is located at Fatima.org. Mr. Hall says, A man should realize that, in general, his family will reject his authority to the degree with which he himself rejects God's authority. It is often even to a greater degree on account of our fallen nature. For example, consider how readily children amplify the faults of their parents. If you have long lived a worldly life with disorder and the roots of your interior life and within the fabric of your home, it will be humanly impossible for you to right the ship. I say humanly impossible, but it is not impossible with God's grace and by his guidance. When Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, we read in the Bible that the people rose up to play, Exodus 32, verse 6. This is biblical terminology, which means they engaged in sexually deviant behavior and ritual debauchery. They had come out of a pagan culture, and pagan religious rituals were always mixed with impure sexual practices. We need not go into detail here, but it would surely have been a tremendously scandalous scene. Contrast the two main priests, Moses and Aaron. All things considered, Aaron is certainly viewed as a great personage in the Old Testament. Yet even he, when pressured by the people, see Exodus 32, verse 1, promoted a false worship and carnal ritualism in carrying out priestly functions with the golden calf. On the other hand, 
Moses is faithful and stoic in his priesthood. He casts out immorality, rebellion, and idolatry with a rigorous severity. Idolatry. Let's think about that for a moment. There was the Pachamama idolatry, which tragically took place at the Vatican in October of 2019. We also need to look at ourselves, though, first and foremost. What idols do we have in our lives? How much TV do we watch? How much time do we spend with our cell phones? You know, humanity was able to exist without cell phones for quite a long time, but now it seems like we're addicted to them. It's my understanding that a lot of the folks who created the technology that goes into these things and stuff like iPads, those uh, highly intelligent tech people who live in Silicon Valley, many of them won't even give their kids iPads because they know how addictive the technology is. So what are we making idols of in our own lives? Do we need maybe to cut back on cell phone use or get what's known as a, a dumb phone, just the, the basic bare necessities? I was listening to um, the Meaning of Catholic podcast the other day, and Mr. Bannister was talking about how he's traveled extensively in his life, been to pretty much all the lower 48, and he said, He's only been lost a couple times, and he, he used maps to do his traveling, you know? I remember that with my family when I was young. When we take a trip to Cape Cod or Washington, D.C., or wherever we were going, my dad would get uh, a triptych from AAA. We always had a great time. Rarely were we lost. Of course, my father was the king of driving. But society got along just fine before the advent of the cell phone. So maybe some sort of fast from technology during this Lent. Things to think about. And we'll be going through more of that as we progress closer to Lent. It is rapidly approaching. Mr. Hall continues, What is so different about Aaron and Moses? It is probable that Aaron, a slave, grew up with at least a semblance of the old traditions from Abraham, whereas Moses, a prince, was steeped in Egyptian paganism at the royal court. The difference between the two is that Aaron, although a Hebrew, left Egypt, but Egypt had not left him. Moses, although raised pagan, excuse me, had spent 40 years in the desert before being called to liberate his people. We read that Moses was away from Egypt for a long time in Exodus 2, verse 23, and that he finally met the Lord in the inner parts of the desert, Exodus 3, verse 1. The major difference between Moses and Aaron is that not only had Moses left Egypt, but he made sure that Egypt had in fact left his soul. Just as the Hebrews who went out of Egypt retained many pagan ideas and desires, so too many Catholics cling to the Egypt within their souls. Every step we take towards emptying our hearts of worldly desires, 
of the world's false maxims, vanities, and fleeting pleasures is a step we can then take towards God. Yet, if our heart is filled with love of transitory things, there will be no room in it for love of the eternal. And the second footnote says, A powerful image for this truth, placed by the church before our minds at Christmastide, is how there was no room for Mary and Joseph in any inn, and so our Lord came to earth outside the worldly city, in a cave deemed fit only for beasts. See Luke 2, verse 7. Next section is entitled, The Head of the Family Has a Priestly Role. We should, however, not make the error of thinking that Aaron was a kind and understanding leader, having compassion for the people's weaknesses, sin, whereas Moses was strict and uncaring. Aaron actually tries to excuse his grievous sin by blaming the people and speaks as if he had no role in calling for gold and fashioning the idolatrous calf. See Exodus 32 verses 2 through 4. Instead, he implies that the calf spontaneously emerged from the fire. See verse 24. Again, returning to the sacrament of reconciliation, I'll just mention briefly, and I, I have heard a, a priest, kind of half-jokingly, but it's, it's serious, talking about people coming into confession and they'll start complaining about other people <laughs> or uh, giving the priest a litany of other people's sins. Don't do that, right? We don't want to gossip about other people, uh, especially not our family. When we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, we're there to tell the priest number and kind for our sins, receive sacramental absolution by the priest acting in persona Christi. We say good after contrition and we're on our way back into church to say our penance. Mr. Hall continues, Moses, on the other hand, intercedes for the people and begs God to forgive them. God threatens to wipe them from the face of the earth, and Moses pleads for God to have mercy for his own namesake, in verses 11 through 13. Moses then freely offers himself as a repertory sacrifice to God, accepting the people's sin as his own and asking God to punish him instead, see verses 31 and 32. Moses clearly serves as a type for Christ, whereas Aaron acts as type of Adam. These are the two choices constantly before every man, to act like the old Adam or like the new Adam. Do you excuse your own sin and blame those under you, deluding yourself that you are kind and compassionate? Or do you faithfully adhere to God's ways, accept responsibility for the sins of those under you, and offer yourself as a sacrifice, willingly accepting the just punishments for their sins? Herein, we see the mark of a real man who truly serves and leads as head of his family according to God's right order. This reality lies at the essence of priesthood, to willingly offer himself and sacrifice on behalf of his people. Every husband and father is called to live thus for his family. Even more so is every Catholic priest ordained for this role. The bishop is called to heroically live this for his diocesan flock, and above all, the Pope ought to exemplify this most perfectly as Christ's vicar on earth. In order to become the domestic priest we are called to be, we need to follow Moses' example. Yet before we can willingly offer ourselves in repertory sacrifice, we must spend time in the desert. This means that we need to embrace ascetical practices. And the third footnote says, 
These are traditional practices of self-denial and mortification once common in the penitential aspect of the Christian life. Consider fasting, abstinence, praying on your knees, denying yourself legitimate pleasures, and embracing hard physical effort as a way to be more ascetical. Something that Mr. Flanders mentioned recently on his program was when our Lord talks in the gospel, he says, when you're fasting or when you fast, not if. It was just understood that you were supposed to fast. And we do so little of that. I do so little of that. And we're coming up here on Lent. It's a perfect time to get back to fasting and other penitential practices. Not because we you know, love torturing ourselves, but out of love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do has to be done in love for him. And if we can, by his grace, do that, then we're on the right track. He's going to bless those efforts. Continuing, uh, that sentence uh, pertaining to ascetical practices, Mr. Hall says, in an intentional way. This means we need to embrace ascetical practices in an intentional way. With the advent of a new year, again, this was written at the start of January 2020, we have the opportunity to take on new challenges and with God's grace, form ourselves into men worthy of headship. I suggest that men consider the Exodus 90 program, which is a 90-day ascetical program designed for Catholic men to grow in virtue. I have done it and will be doing it again shortly. I can attest that it is highly effective. It is a program originally designed to help seminarians rid themselves of effeminacy, and it has been adapted for the layman. And this final footnote is an editor's note, which says, we caution or excuse me, one caution we offer regarding the Exodus 90 program is not to burn out. Given its intensity, we have seen some men who practice it suffer a letdown upon its completion. Instead of building up good habits which last, they are so relieved that it is over that they soon return to all of their former vices. If during the Exodus 90 program you encourage yourself by thinking, just get through it, it'll be over soon enough, and then I can reward myself with various indulgences currently denied, then you may very well be setting yourself up to fall deeper into effeminate habits. While Exodus 90 can serve like a bucket of cold water that shocks one out of spiritual lethargy, one must, above all, develop the interior life and build up a strong habit of regular prayer and penance. I've never done the Exodus 90 program myself. Um, If some of you want to try that, go right ahead. But remember... um, Like St. Teresa of Calcutta says, we're trying to do little things with great love. If we think that something is going to be too much, dial it back a notch, right? We develop vicious habits a little bit at a time. Same thing, we want to rid ourselves of those vicious habits by the grace of Almighty God and develop virtuous habits just a little bit at a time, right? One day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. Uh, we have to be careful not to go overboard and because then we basically engaging in, in spiritual gluttony and setting ourselves up for a fall. That's not what Jesus wants. To conclude, 
Mr. Hall writes, if we are to rid our souls of Egypt and become men fashioned after the model of Moses and St. Joseph, then we must begin our exodus from effeminacy immediately. Do not hesitate to challenge yourself. With God's grace, every man is capable of achieving great virtue and recapturing the proper spiritual and moral headship over himself and his family. St. Joseph, head of the Holy Family, pray for us. And let us conclude now by honoring Our Lady of Fatima and St. Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. Oremos. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Prayer of Pope St. Pius X to St. Joseph the Worker. O glorious St. Joseph, model of all who labor, obtain for me the grace to work in the spirit of penance and expiation for my numberless sins. Preferring devotion to duty to my inclinations, to work with joy and gratitude, regarding it as an honor to develop and employ by work the gifts which I have received from God, to work with order, peace, patience, and moderation, without ever recoiling before weariness and difficulties, to work, especially, with a pure intention, and detached from myself, ever having death before my eyes, and the account which I must give for time lost, for talents unused, for good omitted, and for vain satisfaction in success, so fatal to the work of God. Amen. Virgo potens ora pronobis, sancti Joseph terra daimonem ora pronobis, in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to episode 108 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's been a privilege to be your host. My name once again is Terence M. Stanton. Please share this podcast with everyone you know. And most importantly, if you never do that, most importantly, than sharing a podcast with someone, tell people how much Jesus loves them and Our Lady loves them and St. Joseph loves them. And make sure that you in your own life are like another St. Joseph, that you're striving to be like another Blessed Virgin Mary, a man or a woman of kindness, of chastity, of modesty, of self-control, that we're trying to build up a little bit every day those virtuous habits by the grace of God, which makes being Catholic attractive to other people. Let's walk the walk and talk the talk. By God's grace, all things are possible. Goodbye, and God love you.